Hi, welcome to Season 2 of the Silverline Podcast, an audio version of our video streams that we hold weekly. They're edited a little bit to make them a little more concise. My name is Roland Mann. I'm the head honcho at Silverline, and we have a great time making fun comics that we think that you'll enjoy. So thank you for listening, and maybe go check out some of our comics if you haven't already. And here we are, creating Beyond Calculation, Beyond Politics, Beyond the Big Two. Welcome, Silverliners, to the wonderful world of Wednesday Wham! Boy, do we have a special show for you folks tonight. I'm your host, Dean Zachary, and we're joined by Barbara J. Kelberg, the Empress of the Inks, Rob Davis, also known as the Paragon of Pencils, the Superior Skeptic Aaron Humphreys, also known as Harumphreys, Wizards of Wordplay, Rory Boyle, and Scott Wakefield. We got the team with us tonight, and possibly an appearance by the Word Bomber, John Medic. But most importantly, most importantly, we have a special guest tonight. Oh, I can't stand it any longer. It's, 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 it's Paul Kupperberg, ladies and gentlemen. Paul Damn. Kupperberg, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We got to thank Barb. For, uh, for cornering this special guest tonight. Thank you, Barb. Uh, Thank kudos you, Barb. to you for, uh, you know, Thanks, I don't know, Barb. cooking him something great or, you oh, know, I don't Robert, know. Robert, we go, we go way, way back. He was my editor at DC. Oh, how nice, how nice. And I'm going to ask all the all the stories about all the dirt. So, Paul, um, I, I'm going to just sort of open the floor up here, but I, since since Barb was kind enough to arrange this, I'm going to let her start by giving us a little bit of background about how she first uh, met you and started working for D.C., and then we'll just go from there and start asking questions. Barb, take the floor. Uh, well, I don't exactly remember how we met, but I do I do know that that he had – I jumped over there from Malibu, and Paul and Kevin Dooley – would throw me anything and everything. And I certainly appreciated that because uh, being a, a consistent uh, anchor, uh, female anchor for DC uh, for a good decade was quite a treat. Now, uh, Marvel, I, I, I inked for Marvel, but they would only give me things like Barbie and uh, <laughs> She-Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and gargoyles why am i um, not surprised I'm, yeah gargoyles is cool I was making yeah. a comeback. paul paul just threw me anything and everything and and i think a lot of it had to do is because i made every deadline yeah yep that's and awesome paul what, what were you what were you editing at the time that uh you you gave uh, barb her first assignment do you remember the book or i don't the, remember the book uh but uh, it may have been some flash stuff um, okay. Okay. Did you do yeah. Primal Force with me? No, Primal Force was. Uh, I don't remember who. I did Impulse. Hmm? Impulse. She did Impulse. Impulse. That's it. That was it. That's I spent it. two that and a half it. years on Impulse. That's right. <laughs> wow. It was the cool. only time, only time I ever had a contract with DC. Oh wow. Well, well, I want to. I want to cover everything that we can in our limited time that that you've participated in Paul but but just to get us started um when you were at DC as an editor what books did you edit and um to and help educate to help educate those that are <laughs> that are watching us tonight um what were you looking for when you were recruiting talent so I'll, I'll let you sort of take 
take the floor there. I was looking for talent. You know, I was looking okay. for someone who could who could do the job well and do it on time. I mean, you know, those are the first two concerns. Um, uh, the level of well you 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 establish. You know, you find out how good somebody is. Barbara, you know, she she did the job and she did it well and she did it on time. I mean, you know, what more can I ask for? I mean, I know she was a girl, but you know, I let her go <laughs> house anyway and draw comics. You didn't um, hold that against her. Yeah, no, no. I mean, yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> in those in those days before we could, you know, email portfolios and and post our artwork online and it so was on. A like in samples. It was mail in samples. Yeah, sure. yeah. And yeah, it was also networking. I had a big stack of them on my uh, on my windowsill. Yeah. And did you uh, <laughs> did you what about tell us a little bit about portfolio <laughs> re reviews? Like, was it primarily? people coming into the offices in those days? Was it at, only at cons? How I think I happen? met him at San Diego Comic-Con, either that or Chicago Con. Yeah, it was, I think it was the San Diego. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. I there rounded was, up uh, most of my work from San Diego back in the day. You can't yeah, do that anymore. I did too. I did and there's too. a lot of alcohol involved, so I'm oh, not. Yeah. yeah. I oh, yeah. Bernie <laughs> Wrightson knew how to throw a party. <laughs> well, you know, in those days, Paul, you mentioned uh, Kevin Dooley. Kevin yeah. actually gave me my first DC gig, uh, and, and it was a uh, it was it was actually a, a Green Lantern gig. Yeah, it was an, with him too. It was an Elseworlds story, and it was fantastic. Um, I had, that was just that was my big break into into DC. So. Yeah. Uh, Kudos to, to him if he was a buddy of yours. Uh, oh, yeah. That was, no, well, who didn't like Kevin? I mean, right, I mean, right. I know. There was alcohol out. involved. There was <laughs> just, that one night, just that one night. Just that one night. Just that one night. anymore. Well, I, remember uh, no. one, I remember once in Chicago, there was way too much alcohol involved. And <laughs> you were there that night. I think, Brian, I think uh, somebody, I can't remember who, had to. Had to walk me back to my hotel room because I was like, I was gone. It's good that you remember me. it though. <laughs> yeah, at least I remember. That was, it was it was uh, Bernie Wrightson was uh, uh, was hosting that event in in at, at Barcon after the uh, yes. you know, after the show, and um, uh, it it was fueled. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah. Must, like we're all just sitting around the bar and having fun, but sure. at some point you forget what you're having fun at. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I paid um, for it the next day, though. Oh, oh, yeah. The only time oh, I ever yeah. came close to missing a day at a convention. I had two. Oh, One yeah. was at UCAC, uh, where John Ramita Jr. got me so uh, uh, so wasted. <laughs> yeah. In, in England, how did we get off on alcohol? <laughs> I, just see how it. It goes off the rails sometimes, Rob, and then and then I'm here to pull us back. And pull. Um, what, I want to touch on some things, Paul, um, in terms of editing then and how the stories were crafted for creative teams. Because uh, it's fair to say, I think Barb, Barb might agree, and you may or may not agree, that in those days, it was uh, it was common to have a creative team be on a book for a lot longer than a four issue yeah. or a six issue. Yeah. Sometimes guys would be on a book or ladies, uh, whoever the team was, would be on a book for a year um, or even longer. Or longer um, and uh, there things obviously there started were people to, to who were change. on books for 10 and 15 years. 
you know, oh, right, day, right, you know? right. Back in the day. Yeah. So in other words, was the, was the litmus test in those days, if it works and it ain't broke, don't fix it with a creative yeah. team. Is that pretty much what you guys, okay. I guess, I mean, you know, I, I was in no hurry to, to, you know, when I had a winning team on a book, even if it was just winning because they were on time, and I didn't have to listen to some idiot yell at me at the Wednesday afternoon. Uh, uh, um, uh, if you last after the show, I'll tell you who the idiot was. But I, <laughs> um, can we get people to pay, and then we'll, we'll put a live on the show? Paywall, yeah. Um, but um, you know, so right there, that was a plus. Right. But you know, I tended to to go for people whose work I liked, whose stuff I who, who I trusted. You know, I wasn't a, a hands-on, you know, a heavy hands-on editor. I was looking, you know, let the writer write his story. I, he may need help sometimes in, in the, you know, in, in finding a direction or fixing a problem or something, and I'm happy to help. But otherwise, it ain't my story. So, you know, let them do it. And, and I can't draw. And besides, who am I to tell, you know, Paul Ryan or John Byrne or Mike Diodato right. how to draw? Right. You know? Yeah. Um, Oh, Tachana Wood. Let me ex- let me explain coloring to you. No, no, you know. <laughs> no. Um, what the, about, the trick is to about, hire good people and get out of their way. Well, yeah, that is, yeah, that's, right? yeah, yeah. That's how well, I felt about about working. And most most of the editors were that way. Um, what was a, what was continuity control like? Was was there an overarching feel for the the, the particular? stable of books that you were running at the time did you guys have an overrunning story arc that kept the writers in line or was it a free-for-all do it do whatever you need to do it wasn't a, it wasn't a free-for-all i mean that you know uh, uh stories were were discussed before they were written okay. um but usually if if you know uh if oh i don't know grant morrison and mark miller come to me with a flash plot mm-hmm it's probably going to be okay, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, would they pitch? So I would, would read they it pitch? And I would say, you know, hey, what about this or that? Or maybe you want to think about doing this instead. And you know, sometimes they'd go, "Yes, yeah, sure." I mean, I'm not just talking about them, but a- any right. writer. Um, right. You know, if I had to work that hard, if I have to work too hard with a writer, I might as well write the thing myself. Right. Right. And you did write a few things yourself. You Just did. You have quite a yeah. writing credit with PC. Oh yeah. Tell yeah, yeah. run run through a few of the titles just so folks listening can know what what you've worked on. Uh, there was uh, Superman, Supergirl, Superboy, uh, Arion, Lord of Atlantis, the Doom Patrol. Uh, um, uh, 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 boy, I must have Check- written some other stuff. Checkmate. <laughs> <laughs> I seem to remember Checkmate. Checkmate, right, right, and yeah, I um, love that book. Yeah, I mean, at some point in the in the seventies and and early eighties, pre crisis, I was just like all over the place. I wrote, mm-hmm. you know, most of the characters in the DCU at some point. Uh, you know, I I got to to put my hands on them, and you killed um, off a few too, and I killed a few. Sure, <laughs> they were asking for it. Uh, I oh, like to kill the birds. Uh, yeah, uh, Vigilante, right? Another title. Vigilante, yes. yeah. Peace, Peacemaker. Another, I love that Peacemaker, one. right? Uh-huh. Right. So, uh-huh. yeah, I wrote. Uh, I wrote many, and you know, I went on to do stuff for other people. You know, anything from Archie to uh, Brad Simpson and and uh, Archie. 
you know, <laughs> a man no. who killed Archie. <laughs> no, we're gonna we're gonna touch on that, but before we get get away from DC, I was gonna ask a question comes up in our in our streams quite often, and we talk about how to Doctor, make. Our, why is it this color? No, that's yeah, exactly. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes, but but usually it's more conceptual in terms of how do we make our characters more interesting? How do we make them more compelling? And a lot of times we start talking about established characters and we'll say, you know, it just seems like people have trouble writing Superman. So you're the person I really want to ask this. Was it more difficult to write Superman than the other characters? And okay, you're shaking your head. No, it wasn't more difficult. Superman Superman. is great. Superman if you can't find a way to write Superman, you know, I heard a lot of people saying things like, right, we, we just don't know what to do with him anymore. Well, then you're an idiot. Because That's my you know, yes. Tell us how you really feel. Uh, oh, <laughs> trust me, dear. I've never known him to hold back. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, if, if you go nowhere else, just look at the, you know, just look at those last lines from the Superman TV show. You know, truth, justice is the American, the American way. way. Yeah. Proceed. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty much you know, it. I think well, most, you... most people think that he's such a Boy Scout that he has no conflict. To well, that's out. because he, for most of his existence, he was written that way. You know, including including me. I mean, you know, I tried to do a little bit more. Uh, I was on the book in the last few years before crisis when everything, uh, you know, changed. Uh, but um you know, you just, you, he is a Boy Scout. That's part of the appeal. Uh, but, you know, you can write two or three Boy Scout stories and then you need to, you know. Eventually, I found a few stories here and there where I thought I got at the character as opposed to just writing about him. Um, but, um, you know, but again, that was, you know, that's what, 30 plus years ago. Right. I can, I think I can do a better job now, <laughs> you know. Because yeah, I, I actually have something to say and have acquired some skill as as a writer. Sure, sure. Well, that, we get that a lot. What, you know, the guys, you folks will, will support me on this. This, it's a discussion all the time. You know, where we think the Boy Scout style characters, people seem to either deconstruct them or change them, or and and they have trouble with that that ethos, I guess, making it believable and sort of now that we're all sophisticated and post-millennial and we, we don't really do the truth, justice <laughs> you know, and the American way thing anymore. We're, we're way too advanced for that. And I always think, well, that's kind of silly. I mean, there's always a story you can tell, yeah. uh, you know, about yeah. Superman doing what Superman does. But it, it, it's an interesting, you know, phenomenon when you're dealing with, with a character, uh, you know, ongoing serialized fiction with a character for over 80 years. John Byrne and I were once talking about, we were grumbling about, you know, they're not doing Superman right. You know, all they're, they're, they're not doing my Superman, you know. And at some point I realized that, you know, we probably didn't do Superman right either. We did our Superman. We did it on the shoulders of all the Supermans that came before us by all the other creators. But the only people who ever got Superman right were Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Yep. After that, yep. we're all just interpreting what they intended, and who the hell knows what that was, other than <laughs> we should make a living. Yeah, excellent, excellently put. Yeah. Um, I want to open up the floor. I'm sure uh, other folks have questions. We're going to start with uh, 
one of the wizards of wordplay over there who's looking uh, like he's ready to ask a question. Mr. Scott Wakefield, also known as Swake, surely you have a question for, for this gentleman who is a treasure trove of wisdom about comics, and you're a relative neophyte, I, so go, I, man, go. I am, and, and relative is, um, is a very true in this, uh, this illustrious group that I'm, I'm with. Thank you, Paul, for joining us. Um, we talk, we've had a few episodes on our show here about um, professionalism and the, uh, the craft and making it in the industry. And writing is a really, really difficult industry to be in. Um, if you don't have to go on too long, but um, what tips do you have for writers as far as um, getting in the industry and staying in the industry and keeping it professional? Um, and uh, what, what do you see as, as a uh, big goof ups that, that, young people or people trying to get into industry are running into. Wow. All right. Hey, whoa. Well, uh, let me write. Just, can you hold that for just a second? I might have a few <laughs> thoughts on the subject. Um, you know, um, it, it's really just a matter of, of, of learning how to interpret people. You know, the, you know, as you're writing a character, things come up. And there's no way you could think of, about these things when you're conceiving the character. You know, who, who knew he was going to run into this situation? I'm writing a thing now where, you know, this, this chapter is three times longer than it needed to be because I kept coming up with like, oh, well, this works with the character. Yeah. You know, this, this will add to it. This And I may be wrong and may wind up taking half of it out. But it's still, you know, it's a discovery process. And um you have to believe in your character. You have to, you can't write a character. You have to write a person. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, 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 you have to understand that person. Um, you know, that's really it. Like, you know, there's, it's hard in superhero comics right. to do this because they can't be real. You know, like in the whole history of the world, no one has ever put on a costume and gone out to fight crime. <laughs> ever. Right. Well, not successfully. <laughs> what does this tell you about the idea? Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. It's, it's goofy. So, yep. Right. Right. So real people don't do it. So the people who do do it, well, you know, I, the only way I could, I could convincingly continue writing this stuff, you know, after Superman and all that stuff, which was kind of had this whole chart, you know, pre-crisis had this, this, this childhood hold on, on me, you know, I discovered this stuff in, you know, I've been reading comics since 1959 mm -hmm. um, uh, before I could read them, you know, and, <laughs> and, um, you know, so, so these old thing, you know, Julie Schwartz and his, and his comics and, and Mort Weisinger and, 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 you know, Murray Boltonoff, these have true meaning to me. And, you know, so it's hard to kind of be objective about it even. Um, but then once you get past, you know, once I stopped writing that and started focusing more on characters like Vigilante or Checkmate without the superpowers, it was like, well, this is a lot easier because sure. I don't have to try to imagine what a guy who can fly can think like or, uh, you know, all this. I just have to write this guy. Yeah, he wears a costume. And yes, he's crazy because he wears a costume. Right. You know, like the second... I know Marv conceived of Vigilante as a, you know, kind of a superhero kind of, you know, kind of uh, thing, but he, he's not, you know, and, and when I took over the book, I, I try to keep costumes out of it as much as possible, 
and um, and go on the assumption that this guy is insane. I mean, he's you know he comes across as reasonable, mm-hmm. but you know it's like. And then I put on a costume and I go out and shoot people at night. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, nice meeting. You know. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, so it it it's difficult, I, but I can get into that head. You know, I sure. can, but right. but to get yeah, into, because you kill so many people. I mean, I, it's so hard, <laughs> and I wanted to kill even more. See, so, yeah, yeah. So I wrote a story. I wrote a story you know, called up with. for uh, an anthology published by Crazy Eight Press, which I'm associated with, uh, and the anthology was called "They Keep Killing Glenn," and and every story was about everybody killing one of our members, Glenn Howman, and I wrote a story that was like Groundhog's Day. Oh. So that I got to kill him thousands and thousands. Of <laughs> oh, wow. Um, Genius. Yeah. So, you know, I can understand. Well, they killed Kenny. Uh, this is, they killed Kenny. Again, this is sort of a segue uh, similar to Scott's question here. What level of fantasy? I know it depends on the character, but we often talk about this on the stream as well. This level of the suspension of disbelief, and then the percentage of fantasy and realism that you're constantly walking a tightrope when you're when you're taking these characters through their adventures as people, as you so rightly say. You know, how, how much realism do you want to put in a comic? I mean, do you want it to become a police procedural if you're writing vigilante? Do you want does it depend but on I the do, story? But I do want but I do want them to get reality correct. And okay. they don't, you know, you read these stories where there's some legal, you know, thing at the center of the story. And it's like, well, that's not how the real trial works. You know, you don't just stand up in the middle of court and go, no, we have proof he did it. Oh, charges dismissed. Everybody go home. You know, it doesn't work <laughs> right. that way. And, and, right. and that's, you know, it, it's on the smaller stuff that they get it wrong all the time. And it's all, they don't bother keeping it real. You know, people don't, you know, it's like, I, I, I think back, everybody, you know, the Fantastic Four. First hundred issues of Fantastic Four are considered, you know, one of the greatest runs of comics ever. In reality, it's only issue like number 42 through 80 <laughs> or something. But still the first hundred issues, A-OK. Um, okay. But I was going, I tried, I, I tried to reread the first hundred issues of the Fantastic Four. Just for the hell of it. And by issue 19, I was just like, I couldn't do this anymore. You know, it was fine back then, but now you've got this, like, is the whole house, is the whole apartment made of asbestos? Because Johnny sits around the living room watching, you know, listening to the stereo, putting <laughs> on. And, you know. And his fingers of, on fire. Yeah. 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 And instead of, instead of Ben, you know, knocking on doors, he routinely punches through walls and everybody goes, oh, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> and then read. It was the uh, it was a um, I don't know it was something to do with aliens and, and the splash panel is Reed going why this proves that there's life in outer space and I go well you've already met the scrolls and the impossible yeah. man <laughs> what are you so you know all of this stuff is just like nobody's paying attention it right. and then you know even the greatest story ever in the FF the, the Galactus story how does it end. They don't know, so Stan pulls a, a thing out of his ass called the ultimate nullifier. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Like, oh, well, that's disappointing. <laughs> oh, you know, right? So, so, so you're right. Since we're walking into this uh, this trap here, 
I always laugh when people try to, you know, criticize or uh, rationalize, like, yeah, or rationalize, yeah. or a DC, you know, a DC situation where, oh well, imagine if if uh, Superman was fighting, you know, in the city and all these people are smashing into buildings, all these people die. And but when it happens in an Avengers store, oh well, you know, it's it's the Avengers. You got to kind of let yeah. it go. I'm like, going, oh, wait a second, guys. But then in a way, that's a backhanded compliment because what they're saying is. DC is more real, right? Or they're trying to be more real. So there's a there's a level of realism that they expect almost from the DCU, where Marvel is almost considered more real in terms of places and people having problems. But it seems like as far as, at least in the movies anyway, uh, the Tesseract made it happen. You know, that little magic box that everyone's yeah, yeah. racing. Ah, For, just, you know, the Tesseract. I mean, you know, everything. like go back to Lord of the Rings. You know, it's all about a little dinky mm. ring, you know? Um, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so there's a lot more magic, even though it's in the real world. But then you go to DC and they do something crazy and people go, oh, that's unrealistic. Uh, he he was, you know, Superman would never let that many people die. He would, he would you know, and those buildings wouldn't. got destroyed. It's like... I don't know. And he would Superman, no, Superman he would wouldn't. take the fight out into the country or out over the ocean. He did it all through the you know the the the, the death of Superman. That's how he fought Doomsday. Yeah, you know, right. Took him out in space. Get away from populated right. areas. Right, so, right, right. You know, um, it's a difference in in how style. You know, Marvel gets away with a lot just for being Marvel, and yes. you know, fans are insane anyway. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't understand people in imbuing, you know, putting so much energy into yeah. like, I don't care who's cast in a movie. You know, right. I learned my lesson with Michael Keaton. He was great. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So, I expected you know, it to be great, but yeah. I was so, a minority. I'll, ju- I'll judge it once I've seen it, but I'm certainly right. not going to spend my days, you know, spewing all over social media because I'm unhappy with, with some actor that got cast as a superhero. Gives sure. a fuck. It's a comic book movie. <laughs> no, right. You know, I mean, love them. Sure, that's great, but yeah. it's a comic yeah. book movie. You sure. know, sure. No, I hear you. I hear you. In other words, take it for what it is. Even yeah. though for a lot, for a lot of us, we put so much effort into our stories, we want them to seem. I don't know. Their own world should be real. Uh, I remember a quote from Frazetta where he was talking about how he didn't use. Reference. I mean, he, he had a photographic memory. He, he studied anatomy, so on and so forth. But when he would do his paintings, it was out of his head completely. Yeah. And he's, he was quoted as saying, you know, I'm not trying to do realism. I'm trying to do something yeah. that feels real for his fantasy yeah. world. Well, that's, um, I, I think the the when fans started taking this stuff seriously mm-hmm. uh, and certainly when the companies kind of, you know, let everybody into the locker room to see what's going on, you know, with the internet. Um, it's gotten, it, you know, it's just, you know, I was invested in the, in these comics and these stories. I still remember, you know, in, in, in justice league of America, number 100, it was seven soldiers of victory. You know, one of the seven soldiers will die. And it's like, who, 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 and Levitz knew because he was working at DC already. And, but he wouldn't tell us because he wasn't allowed to, right. you know? but, um, uh, uh, you know, it was just, you know, so it was important, but it wasn't life or death. And I wasn't going to go insane because, you know, they wound up killing the horse instead of wing or whatever it was. Right. Um, right. You know, it's, 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 
in the in the context of of, of comic books in the story, yes, it's exciting and important. But you know, once you put down the comic book, it's like, so what's for dinner? You know, right? <laughs> it is what it is. For you yeah. Saying, you know. Yeah. Uh, Rory, uh, the other Ooh. wizard of wordplay. I'm sure you have a compelling question for our honored guest tonight. Uh, so many. Firstly, <laughs> thank you for writing about the Titanic. <laughs> That's what gave Scott and I a job. Uh, and because our, our uh, rating of the Coast Guard. Ah, uh, gotcha, 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 gotcha. You know, Titanic guests. What's it like having your own Wikipedia page? Isn't <laughs> <laughs> everyone... <laughs> I don't know. I'm about to no, start, no. I should probably start one. <laughs> I um I I found out about it about a dozen years ago. I I, I looked at it. It was all wrong. So I fixed it. and I don't. My think net I've worth is way more. And I don't think I've looked at it or or added to it since. So I don't know. Um, it, Hopefully it, somebody else thing? is, like, is, is having a Wikipedia page a thing. I, I I don't have one, but they yeah, I, I people have been trying to put I, together one for me for years, and it hasn't. Well, you're a girl. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a goyle. This makes Poor her Barb. special. Poor Barb. <laughs> <laughs> I guess my uh, next question: What was the most fun project you worked on, either alone or in a team? But like, what did you get the most out of? Uh, it was I a learning experience, or you just. I think Wife of Archie was probably, uh, you know, I think it was, it was just a consistently, hmm. I think I did a real good job on that book and, you know, and, and just, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of that one. And I, and I enjoyed doing it. It was, you know, a very, it was a great experience working with the Archie guys was, um, you know, it was wonderful. Um, you know, I was, uh, um, uh, uh, given my head to to write whatever I want. I mean, we get together every six months and we plot out the the, the next story arc. But you know, I'd go in there with with suggestions for you know everything from killing Miss Grundy to uh, <laughs> uh, that's right, I killed Miss Grundy. I forgot about her. Um, <laughs> You're so bloodthirsty. To, uh, to uh, you know uh, 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 you know uh, uh, gun violence storyline. Uh, uh, Cheryl Blossom with uh, breast cancer storyline, um, you know. So no matter what I what I suggested, there's like, yeah, go ahead, great. I mean, that's how the death came up. You know, at the end of the, we we know the book's coming to an end and we're plotting out the last arc, and um, and and uh, you know the, the publisher goes, so what are we gonna? How are we gonna go out on this? And um, and you know everybody's throwing suggestions out. There's like five people in the room and somebody says, you know, let's kill him. And, uh, and then about 10 minutes later, you know, John kind of says, kill him. We could kill him. We could kill him, you know? And I went, hell yeah, let's, you know, because I love a good bloodbath. Um, <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah. So, Ryan says, uh, hello, everyone. How are you? Hey, Ryan. Good How you doing? Paul. Hi, Ryan. Look forward to having you on the show next weekend, is what Ryan says. And uh, he also the says, hello, Barbara. Weekend? Jesus. Shout out. <laughs> Thank Put you, it in Ryan. Calendar, Paul. <laughs> Check the calendar, Ryan. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Here I am. Wow. The 30th. It is indeed. It is indeed. All uh, right. So, Aaron, your turn, my friend. Throw, throw us out a compelling question All for right. Mr. Kupferberg. 
I, I know you've got. So I, don't, I don't. I don't have any. I don't. I don't follow DC or Marvel that much. So I'm just okay. He's, he's done more than. Well, ask a writer. Oh, I've never heard of you either. So there. Whoa, that's cool. Yeah. I didn't know that. I didn't know about that one. Yeah. Rob, what about you, yes, my friend? I worked on that one. The only thing uh, I can lost... think of uh, is it seems to me that comics aren't fun anymore. The, the Marvel and DC, they're, I, I don't know if they're, they're, they're too serious and too grim and gritty. I, I, what I would, what would you, as an editor or a writer, what would you do to make comics fun again? What do you think, what do you think comics need to do to become fun again? Well, you know, I think first of all, we're not the audience. True. We are old farts. Yeah. We like what we like from when we liked it. Um, Mm -hmm. That's not what the audience is looking for today. I mean, you know, every now and then, you know, a a story is fun or, or, you know, like that is fun. Or they'll read the old stuff and, you know, and, and, oh, quaint, you know. But, but, you know, this is what the audience, I was going to say this is what the audience is buying, but I think that's a, uh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, kind of, that's, that's kind of part of my question. Yeah. What, what, what can we do to, to uh, make it more interesting to more people? Or can we even do that? I don't think anymore? we can. I yeah, think I, I, yeah, comics I, is is it has um, reached its its you know adult form in some ways. Yeah. Um, the the monthlies will sell to who they sell to, and that will continue to be a diminishing market, I think. Um, yeah. And uh, you know the the online stuff will will move. The the graphic novels are, are selling very well. You know, collected editions and graphic novels do very well. Um, so, you know, it's just our, the definition of, of, of comics is just going to, you know, continue to change. Um, okay. I mean, you know, according to, according to Paul Levitz, we've already gone through, you know, three major shifts in the marketplace, you know, in, in my lifetime of comics, you know, the shift right. from the shift from newsstand to, to, uh, uh, uh direct market, yeah. to direct market. And, um, you know, and then and then the Internet, well, the Internet's the latest one. There's another one in there somewhere. But, you know, it all makes sense. Um, the market has to evolve. We're, we're uh, uh, what are we, uh, uh, you know, coming on a 90-year-old medium, um, uh, you know. Yeah, so you movies, think, uh, are, movies also aren't what they used to be well, and aren't pulling in the audiences they used and again, to be. Yeah, Again, so. we're we're not that we're not the audience, you know. Uh, True. The movies, yeah. the movies we like are probably going to show up in art houses, or, or you know, just going to run on Netflix from now on. Um, <laughs> superhero movies, you know, but you know, the, the movies are replaced the comic books. I can't tell you the number of people who come up to me at conventions or, or whatever and say, "I'm a big fan. I'm a big comic book fan." I go, "Yeah, what do you read?" And they go, "Oh no, I don't read the comics. I watch the movies." <laughs> to them, yeah. that's being a comic book fan. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, you know, take it away. Yeah. That's uh, <laughs> leads me to what Fruit Bat says. The audience isn't buying, is what Fruit Bat says, and he's he's saying that. And and you you've touched on this. It could it be that because 
there's so many options now that it, everybody's got their own niche market almost. Everybody's got their own thing they like. There's no no longer this sort of overarching popularity, except for the big, big, big names. Sure. I think there's some truth to that. Um, you know, the fragmentation is, is, you see it in television. You know, it used to be, well, you know, I, I think it's kind of, I hate to sound, you know, grand about this, but I think there was kind of like all that's going on is, is, is kind of helping to lead to the dissolution of, of kind of, you know, civility almost, uh, you know, bonds between people. Like when when I was growing up, um, we all watched the same thing because it was only, yeah. you know, three channels. Three and channels, yeah. House. And yeah. so yeah. You know, I watched I watched Ed Sullivan to see the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and whatever else and the comedians and stuff. Uh, and you know, my parents were watching, you know, ballet and and pop singers and and Broadway excerpts on the Ed Sullivan show. We were all watching the same thing. So I I not only you know got my culture, I was getting big doses of their culture as well. Right. As a result, right. Yeah. you know, I know who Jack. I, well, back then Jack Benny actually was still a star, but you know. <laughs> But yeah. now if you go up to, to you know, uh, a 20-something and say, you know, Jack Benny, they'll go, who? Yeah, yeah. So the fragmentation is part of it. But the I guess the plus side of the fragmentation that we talk about on the stream a lot is that if you can find that small market that supports what you're doing as a creator and it can sustain you, you can make a living off of it, now is probably the best time to ever do something like that because we have a worldwide market through the internet is that yeah, fair to say to some extent um but it's it's you know when i started uh, writing uh you know I, uh, I my first sales were to charlton comics in 1975 i sold a bunch of uh you know horror short stories and um then i started writing for dc and as a consequence, I stopped writing for, for Charlton because DC paid three times the page rate. Um, but I also abandoned trying to get work from Gold Key and from Warren and other companies. And I, so I wound up with, with all my eggs in one basket. And for a while, it was fine. It was comfortable. And then it wasn't. Um, right. You know, so even that small, yep. you know, if you find that small market, you know, how long are they going to stay with you? You know, they're going to outgrow this stuff. They're going to move on to the next thing. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, so yeah. it's, it's diminishing returns. Uh, you know. It is. It is. Uh, Fruit Bat says the big names are dying on the vine. Yes, we need to make comics fun again. I mean, when I can't give a superhero comic to my boys because the content is yeah. suitable, what do you do? Well, yeah, he's, he's got a point. What do, you, what do you say to folks who say, I need, you know, I want something that I can give the kids and not worry about this or that or the other. It is out there. I think it's out there to a certain sure extent. Although, you know, even DC, you know, they, they took the, um, you know, they took Scooby-Doo and Flintstones and, you know, made them real. Mm -hmm. What about, <laughs> what, I mean, over in Japan, that market is massive. There's what no are they doing that we are not? They didn't stigmatize comic books. American 1950s screwed us, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, in the 40s, they were kind of acceptable. Um, you know, adults could read them. Certainly GIs were reading them by the ton, um, you know, overseas. And, um, um, 
and adults, you know, could pick up a comic book. Um, but by the time, you know, the war was over and, and we were getting into the late 40s, it was, you know, you could see the stuff turning more juvenile. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, it was pretty juvenile to begin with, but sure. You know, it was just turn, and then you know, by the fifties, it, it they became evil, and and you know, no nobody respectable would read them, and uh, you know, at, again at the time, they were still selling, you know, a million copies of or eight hundred thousand copies of Superman or Action Comics, but you know that, I've seen numbers over the years, um, you know, where you could just every year by year you could see the dip. You know, Detective Batman was was on the verge of cancellation in 1964. Um, mm -hmm. You know, well, is it fair to say that maybe the fragmentation and the people outgrowing the old way of telling those stories and the old-fashioned comic style, maybe they will begin to embrace comics the way the Japanese have, and maybe their stigma stigmatization will fade. Do you think with the new generations is that maybe too much to i hope, hope so i hope yeah. so i mean you know there's manga sells pretty well in this country i mean mm -hmm. you know but again you know uh, you know what's pretty well you know what's what's a top manga number in this country for, aaron? aaron aaron you're our manga <laughs> expert what what do you what's, think would what's be the top title selling yeah what the top title selling right now would probably be demon slayer Okay. okay. Um, and what kind of numbers do you think it's doing? Oh, um, the top-selling comic is actually Dogman. Yeah, right? check it out, uh, Dean. See if it's on Dogman's yeah. by Scholastic. Okay. Um, Viz Media does Demon Slayers. Now you're talking, you know, American, but you you also have to realize it's much more outlets. So I mean, you also can go buy a Demon Slayer from like Target. They're yeah. saying five. They're, they're awesome. saying, yeah. as right. far as numbers go, they're saying five million. That's yeah. five million. Sales. Five yeah. million. That's, 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 but you have to remember, manga was an imitation of American art. The guy who created sure. manga was trying to imitate Disney, right? And right. so it wasn't. It didn't have, like you said, the stigma day, the stigmatization of that word yeah. uh, that American comics had. Americans have always had this sort of idea and you can almost probably draw this back to the humanist movement coming into America of the sort of intellectualism that came with like philosophy and stuff, the philosophes that the idea of like anything that had pictures was considered, um, non-educational frivolous. Yeah. Right. And that, and that yeah. came from, and that came from the intellectual pursuit of, I mean, because I mean, you know, it, 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 you know, history lesson me in America is founded on, on humanist movements, the, the country yeah. itself. So the idea of like, you know, we are above animals, we are human, we are intelligent. And so anything that would be, we wanted to engage ourselves with intellectual complicated ideas and books with the most sophisticated books are still the best way to convey an abstract complicated ideas. Pictures, yeah, um, it takes a little harder sometimes. I mean, being a you know, I listen, like I put together, I, I see a furniture. I know what you're saying. Right, yeah, yeah. But when I, when I, I mean, my minor That's was in philosophy pursuit. and I was, and I was writing and my comic that I wrote, I do write about philosophy, uh, which, you know, I don't find hardly any of that in comics. I, some in manga, uh, I, you get a decent amount in European, but I do think American comics 
have also leaned into the stigmatization or the juvenile by not writing or addressing ideas you would find in books. They stray away from that um, because they seem more interested sometimes I feel in sales than in actually making literature. I mean, when you talk about classical literature... There is no literature, interest in like, making literature. No. Like yeah, there's, Mockingbird, there's no literature. interest in that. Right. If Mice and Man, The Killer Mockingbird, famous literature, they just you know, they never, books. they never cared, and they wrote so those to sell books is to sell books. Those are sort of classic because yeah. they're challenging and complex ideas, things that comics stray away from. And I do think superheroes could have done that; they could have challenged more ideas or whatever. But instead, they just attacked or focused on black and white ideas. Yeah, and I, I, I think, think it was something that I think was. An, an opportunity lost, actually. Yeah, no, they, they definitely it was it was all trivialized and and infantilized, infantilized. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, to a large extent. I mean, you know, you can't read uh, a Jack Shift Batman stories in the late nineteen fifties and think right. that the audience. I mean, I have recently looked back at some of those old stories, mm-hmm. and there's nothing there. They don't. It's just like literally. They move from point A to point B to point C to point D, and mm-hmm. that's it. I mean, you know, Andy. It's all plot, no characterization. It's all plot, no characterization. Yeah, it's all, no characterization, right? There were there were stories there where it's like, what's the bad guy's name? They don't even mention the bad guy's name. <laughs> right. He's doing some dastardly thing, you know, yeah. manipulating yeah. people's minds or whatever, and you know they don't even bother giving this guy a name. This uh, fruit fruit bat says Japan lets the book age with the audience, then yeah. start a new series with a new generation. So a book that starts with one generation of twelve year olds isn't suitable twenty years later. So uh, you know, he's Harry making Potter the point. Did that. Yeah, Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Sure. Harry Potter did that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Japan so, does that a little bit. Yeah, but I mean, Japan also. I mean, well, the, this was an anime, but like the uh, the one of the uh, Firefly. Um, it was about kids surviving Hiroshima. Okay. Um, it's, it's a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, stuff about, like Appleseed Ghost in the Shell. I mean, they are attacking. You have stuff for kids, but there's stuff that they're, like, again, attacking intellectualized. Right. And adults just, I mean, I give a comic to a kid and they immediately think, like most people, well, this is for kids. Mm-hmm. And that's something, and we uphold it. And by giving so much money to Disney, which has locked that image into America and has never yeah. let it go, has caused so much damage or detriment mentally to people's view on comics and stuff that it's like if you want to do anything that's not suitable for kids you might as well just give up and go to either the europe or japan to do it or in do america mouse. it's just not gonna or work or do mouse mouse but even mouse is like it's a popular book but is it a big seller is it, it if yeah. you ask most comic book people if they know mouse non-comic book people never heard mm-hmm. of it Right, Never right. Heard. So what you're talking about, again, we, we've touched on this before too, Paul, it's an interesting discussion. We're talking about commercial art, fine art, the balance. And, you know, a lot of us want to do a combination of both. Sometimes you just want to do popcorn. Sometimes you want to do a thought-provoking thing. And there's room for all of it. And what well, we art is art. You know, you, yeah. you can categorize yeah. it as much as you want. You sure. Can, you, know, you can assign it labels and 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 names, but, you know... If you create something, it's art. It may not be good art. It may not be high art or whatever right. the hell that is. Right. Um, right. You know, <laughs> if 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 comic books are so low, why was Lichtenstein ripping them off? You know. Right. 
right, you right. Know, I mean, yeah, right. he was probably being ironic or something. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, um, you know, there, there's the elements of comics have been seeping into our society, you know, really mainly since you know, Batman. I mean, yeah. we are still, you know, we are still holy this, holy that, and pow zap bam, you mm -hmm. know, 60 years later. Yeah. I think strange that the one thing that's starting to give a little bit of relevance to the comics, as dumb as it is, is the format it's in. Um, yeah. When you give a, I mean, when, when you gave the floppies, people literally thought they were pamphlets. Mm hmm. You would, you know, like, well, there's a pamphlet, and the pamphlet has information you need, and you toss it away. Again, this is why so many old comics are so rare because everybody threw them away, and they were almost meant to be thrown away. I mean, they were on cheap paper. You buy no, them, it was, throw them away. No, it was disposable. Right. Just right. Like right. So even even the Just format. Like the magazine. I mean, when you get, when you put like, let's say you take a Superman run and put it into a nice pristine omnibus with a hardback, doesn't it sometimes, some odd reason, seem a little more important than it should be Absolutely. because it's so bound it's together? Exactly. Yeah. You know, the the, the, yeah. the printing is better. The binding is beautiful. Exactly. So I think there's a presentation it's an also matters. For God's sake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you look at uh, they they repackaged a lot of the uh, Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams, Batman, recolored it and reissued. I've got the hardbacks on on my shelf, and um, because they were a big influence on me, and it's it's really it, it's nicer to have it that way because if I had the original, I mean, I probably sell it for the money but if i had the original you'd see it was decayed and the 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 coloring was off and the registration and this that and the other so i kind of appreciate the fact that dc went back to some of these classics and re repackaged them you know my, my only issue with that with that stuff is they don't do enough of mine there's only they do pick out certain ones and most omnibuses are runs from like late 80s or 90s oh, they have a hard time age. going back no, i mean they, we don't we didn't have we don't even have a hardcover mm -hmm. omnibus of the dark phoenix saga i mean that's kind of silly we have you can find a paperback you can find a collecting omnibus but a nice hardback version <laughs> of like one of the most classic no we don't have that, uh, not that i know that, of that surprises me i i I seem to remember seeing that they had made one of those. Maybe at some time. I'm not sure. I mean, they yeah. could have. But, I mean, this is yeah. classic stories. I mean, when well, they finally you know, put it's out all the about crisis. the money. I, oh, I yeah. imagine they would put that together just to try and make some money off of it. But, yeah. yeah. I think it there's has been of, done. But it, There's a lot of Bronze Age DC, though, that, that they've yeah. done that with. So maybe they're wrote, working their I, way up, Aaron. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I, just, I yeah. just wrote an introduction to... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, the uh, House of Mystery omnibus that includes oh, the awesome. uh, wow. the um, uh, Dollar Comics run, you know, goes yeah. into the beginning of that, which is where I started. I, I used to write the introductions for those uh, Dollar Comic uh, House of Mysteries. So, yeah. I want to yeah. ask you, Paul, because you'll be helpful, I think, with, with this subject. What was considered healthy sales in each of the Time periods where each you of the decades working. in which you've been working. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's a good. That's um, a good question. Like, uh, what was a what was the cutoff? Like, if it's not selling this, kill it. I mean, I know that it, changed. Yeah, it, it changed, and and we didn't really talk about that much uh, back in the seventies and stuff. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, when there were no royalties, you know, I don't care what it sells. Right. 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 As long as my check clears. You know, yeah. and when I yeah. started, I had to sign the back of the check that included the stamp that says, 
you know, yeah, your, your contractual rights. Yes, you give up all your rights to this character. <laughs> I remember that very, very well. Oh, I remember that and too. I'm going to segue here for a, a little bit because I, we've been so concentrated on, on superheroes in DC. But I, I would like to ask Paul about his non DC work. All right. Um, it was before and after DC. And you and I left DC about the same time. Yeah, I, they, uh, brought in, they, they shoved everybody out and brought in the whole new crew. Yeah, I, I left in 2006. Well, uh, for around 2001, I moved out of DCU um, uh, because yeah. enough was enough. I mean, you know, how much Dan Rasper can any human being take? <laughs> um, but, um, uh, I moved into the licensed special projects, licensed publishing, and I did that for the last few years I was there. But I left in 2006 uh, to go to uh, Weekly World News. Really? I did not realize yep. you went to week. And then after mm -hmm. that, give us a catch us up on your life after DC. Well, after that, um, I've been writing, doing some writing for, for Weekly World News, you know, articles here and there. And um, they were looking to make a change and bring the staff to New York. Uh, you know, it was being published down in Florida uh, in Boca. And, um, you know, the, the Anthrax building. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Famous uh, uh, American Media Anthrax building. Nice. Okay. That was uh, Weekly World News. Um, but... Um, so whole change of staff. I was hired as um, um, uh, uh, executive editor, and we brought in uh, uh, Bob Greenberger, came on staff as well, managing editor. Wow. Uh, Matty Blaustein, who was in uh, uh, DC's um, uh, you know, production department doing Photoshopping and, and all that stuff. We hired her to be uh, our, uh, our photo editor, and uh, we hired someone from DC's production department to be uh, to be our, uh, uh, you know, designer. So it was like, you know, working with, with old friends. And um, I was there for a year and a half, did a lot of stuff, wrote a lot for them, was tr trying to, the paper was losing, speaking of circulation, was losing numbers bad. And also the distribution, you know, they, uh, Walmart was a, a main outlet and Walmart, you know, sucks money out of a product, whether it sells or not. So uh, I had worked up some deals. Uh, we had a, a $50,000 contract with Random House for books. We had um, a deal percolating with Dark Horse to do action figures, you know, Batboy and stuff. Uh, and um, best of all, I had cut a deal with Diamond to uh, distribute Weekly World News in comic shops. They were going to take 2,000 copies a week, which would have literally put the paper back into the black. But the uh, the distributor, Papers Distributor, which is owned by the company that owns the the the, 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 the you know, newspaper itself, AMI, um, they nixed it because you know I might actually out, out you know show them up. So uh, anyway, they wound up the the paper wound up dying in 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 uh, August of two thousand and seven, uh, and then I went freelance for a while. Did a short stint at DC, working and in their um, um, uh, collected editions department. I was literally putting together collected editions. I was, you know, doing the book maps and and doing the dummies, you know, xeroxing all the stories and putting them together. And you know, so I, I must have done you know like forty of those. I think wow. 
<clears throat> never wound up being published. But uh, and while I was there, I got a call. Somebody, the switchboard, uh, the, the the receptionist uh, uh, knew that I knew a lot of you know stuff about DC and those good for information. So she passed a call on to me from uh, an editor at uh, World Wrestling, WWE. Oh, and he said, uh, yeah, we, we were starting a kids magazine and we need an editor to do, you know, comics and cartooning. Blah, blah, blah. You know, can you guys recommend anybody? And I recommended me and uh, <laughs> wound up getting hired, um, which was cool because uh, WWE was 10 minutes away from my house here in Stanford, Connecticut. Um, and that only lasted about a month, two and a half months because they're idiots. Um, <laughs> 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 but then I went back to freelancing and, uh, you know, pretty much been doing that ever since. You killed Archie. And I killed Archie. Bastard. He was wearing a hoodie and carrying a, a, a bag of Skittles. I had you, were, you, were saying, you were saying something before we came live here that uh, you had interviews from people as far away from India about killing Archie. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I was getting I was getting calls, um, you know, from India, from, from all over Europe, uh, Philippines, you know, I was doing interviews all over the world. How could you kill Archie? Well, we're not really. It's, you know, kind of like a, first of all, he's not real. And <laughs> the version of Archie I'm, I'm, I've killed, I'm killing, is a less real version of Archie than even the not real main version of Archie. <laughs> so Boy, that what did that like a lead balloon? I bet. What did yeah. they? Uh, what What did that do for circulation for you? Paul? With, it with... didn't do diddly squat. The book was canceled. <laughs> well, it did, it did, you know, it's just sort of different when you kill Superman, right? That's that's a different thing altogether. Well, that um, was, um, you know, that was a stupid accident. Um, tell us about he, that. Well, I was, I, I remember the day the story broke, and it was in like November of, of whatever year it was. And it was a slow news day. Just happened to be a slow news day, and DC released the, you know, Death of Superman press release. And suddenly, you know, it's the end of the world. And it became the biggest event. You know, I think that thing wound up selling like 7 million copies or something. Because mm -hmm. everybody crazy. bought a lot of copies because they knew they oh, could, yeah. they'll be scarce and, and they can sell them later. Uh, yeah. I still have a couple of copies. <laughs> yeah, copies. Sure. Everybody. Does. I have. I have. I have a copy. Actually, it's just right over there. I have a copy that's still in the original Manila envelope from DC, with the letters from DC saying we thought we better give you guys copies of this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and now most people wound up with stacks of them, you know, straightening uh, tables around their house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just for the record, that was 1992. Yeah. Two years yeah, ago. Was, that was yeah. like my second year up at D.C. on staff. And was that something that everyone expected? I, you make it sound like nobody really expected that to blow up. It was just well, kinda... nobody did because DC had killed Superman like a dozen times before. And he <laughs> always got better. And nobody ever made a stink about it. Right, um, right. You know, it was like, a, you know, oh, yeah, we'll kill the hero. He'll get better. Um, nobody expected anything. Uh, you know, it, I, I believe, you know, it wasn't planned to be this. You know, it, it felt like years. It really felt mm -hmm. like that story just went on for years. It yeah, was as long as the, as the trial of the flash. Um, but yeah, oh. <laughs> but um, 
nobody, you know, they, they just kept adding to it. It's like, oh, this is going well. You know, nobody nobody thought this, you know, the... the was gonna, was there was like a happy accident. Friend, there was mm-hmm. a funeral for a friend and then the resurrection and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was, there was all the different Supermen for a while yeah, and Superman. spin off. Was Mike, Mike Carlin, I believe, was editing those at the time. Do you remember? Was it Mike? I think yeah, it was. Mike. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was it's, uh, it's the a editor of the Superman and uh, ran the Superman books into the ground. I mean, he ran the and, Superman books. And then not too long. Brazilian crossovers. Not too long after that, we had uh, Batman breaking his back, if you remember as well. So then that yeah. happened. Um, but yeah, that seemed to be the, the event decade. I know a lot of the, our younger folks, that's when you guys were reading, right? Scott, Rory, you guys were <laughs> reading at that time, right? When all yep. the, the Death of Superman, Batman breaking his back, all that stuff. Uh, what did you guys think of that? I mean, did that get you into it? Or are you like, ah, this is such a gimmick, whatever? So. I just knew they would come back. I just, yeah. it didn't really <laughs> yeah. me at all. I'm just, yeah. Like, it was know. kind of too incredulous. Oh, DC yeah. just killed one of its cash cows and he'll right. never be back. Right, right, ever, right. Ever, yeah. Ever, yeah. Ever. Well, that's yeah. the end of that. <laughs> Move along. What's everybody I'm done. Yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's what, Bob Kane. Ha ha. Exactly. Well, that oh, was okay. always kind of one of my, one of my problems reading, not even superheroes, this, this continuous sequel like sequential books like on for decades that that you you never really can do anything to the characters to cause permanent change or things to the story uh one of the i mean like people like when do you quit reading comics like when you get bored i guess right. they'll keep going forever yeah um, especially well, american you know, I mean, comics you have to you have to give the illusion of change right you know, uh, but there was yeah. no payoff like you read a story like yeah. how's this going to end but it never ends so there's no big payoff and so, that was that was a little frustrating to me sometimes as a reader it's yeah. not it's not my idea aaron because i've said this before too and I, it's not my original idea what why has why have they never like the big guys especially why have they never run a chronological story let them age let them get old let them die let them mm-hmm. and then end because, it because and start it over just people have done that, but the, the because DC money. Because yeah, money. I, I feel, the uh, the and, guy and, who did Cerberus, Dave Sim, did that. Copyright, trademark. And, 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 and how are you progressing? How are you aging the guy? Are you aging him in real time? Because yeah. uh, that's excruciating. Well, yeah, but I mean, that's the question. Like, you know, um, that. I feel like closer you know, to real time. I mean, I because because you have these. Aaron says these these guys that last that live forever. I mean, we we got Bruce Wayne or Tony Stark that. They're 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 ninety years old, um, and we not. have we, well I know we have, we do we have <laughs> the to suspend, they live in a, yeah. they live in another time world right. but I, I I would be interested in a in a story that went year by year or, or maybe some sort of but alteration of the but closer to a real progression um, and let them age and let them let, let them pass the torch or like old man Logan. Right. Well, and, yeah. and then let them die, and then we we can all agree. You know, we, we all know that the the Batman storyline ended. The well, that's why the Dark the, Knight Returns was so popular because Frank Miller did do a sort of ending to the series per se. In other words, it was not a permanent ending, but it was like it was a sort of like, well, if this ended, 
Yeah, this could, the, this could end. end. This could be a way and, to end it. And so right. there was a and then it came back and did it again. Re- it's not an ending; it's a resolution. Resolution. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I think um, that's yeah. what's missing from a lot of stories. I mean, when you start reading any story, you buy into the story, wondering how it's going to end. And if it never ends, then it's kind of like you're sitting there in a moment of tension. It's basically you're sitting at the moment of climax, like the whole time. It's like resolution climax for story. You're edging. Yeah. And so, um, oh, getting getting close to the we resolution. We just lost our affiliate. We lost our wow. everyone. So, I mean, I've never understood what that really means. most manga. Uh, most manga does go. Well, I think the most is twenty six volumes. There's some that are, are still going, but no. they do eventually end in some capacity and move on. Because then um, we have like the that, the Simpsons, who who, yeah. who they've been on for. 35 yeah. years and yeah, they yeah. they flash back to the 70s they flash back to the 80s they flash back to the and 90s also, they flash while, back you're, to- <laughs> while you're aging the character you know so you're going to have a guy who's aging in real time and you know you're the the audience following isn't going to want to read this old guy i know but yeah. so how often do you start books that's like a, that yeah I mean, that's it's a good just, question it's not practical you know there there are um, yeah. uh, you know, uh, uh, Gunsmoke, you know, ran for what, yeah. 16 years, Bonanza yeah. 20 for- years, 20 years. Yeah, I, I, you know, so, and nothing ever changed, you know, no. and it's yeah. what audience want. They think they want something new, but yeah. if you change it, they get pissed. I mean, I remember, <laughs> I remember in the yeah. 70s, in the 60s and 70s, it was like, you know, us young fans, us kids, we were going, you know, Robin has been a baby a little boyfriend and then so they they aged dick grayson they sent him off to college and we were outraged you know because you you don't want you don't want what you think you want because if you got what you thought you wanted you'd think we were boring well what about the multiple solution to that though there's Mm -hmm. an obvious solution you have different titles you have Scott's old guy version where the guy's aging in real time. You have the one where he never changes. You have the one where the kids take over and pass the torch and have all the titles running. But you're not taking you're not taking the fan mentality into into you know into uh uh consideration. consideration. They want all of it. Yeah. You know, and and they're not gonna be able to afford to buy all of it because you obviously have to start a new book every month to keep up with, you know. With, with the aging possibilities. So, and, and comics. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I thought you were. No, but that's it. You know, it's just, it's, it's, you know, it, it, it don't ever, don't, if somebody comes up to you and says, what I want to see in the book is first you tell them to bug off because none of their freaking business. <laughs> I'm the writer, not you, you little punk bastard. Take the job <laughs> if you think you can get it. Uh, but, um, you know, you don't want to give them what they what they tell you they want because then you're boring, you're dull. They predicted this. I knew that was coming. Sure, that's what you've been whining for, you grubby little. <laughs> so, well, there's, there's a little bit of a oh, sorry, a little bit of a difference in stories too. Comic book story, it's like it's all about the characters. The stories they tell tell stories of like Batman. But like you do, like a lot of books and a lot of other stories, the main characters are intertwined with the plot, and there's an ending to the, to the character. If that makes sense, I mean, nobody like, for instance, like when the, I'll just pick Mice and Men because I like that story. Um, when you got to the ending of that one, 
there was no sequel. You, you didn't really care about what happened to the guy that left that story per se because the story was wrapped Lenny, around Lenny, that guy. You never saw the Lenny zombie movie? No, I never did. Right. But I mean, the characters are intricately tied to the plot and the story. With comic books, the characters are pulled. Yeah, but there are exceptions. I mean, you know, serialized storytelling is is obviously you know yeah has has a long history. You know, Dickens was doing it. it. Radio started doing it. I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Dickens was doing it. You know, most Mm -hmm. authors in the in the in the nineteenth century were serialized in newspapers before they 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 published them as books. Um, Right. Sure, Uh, but you know, but. Like I like, I mainly write novels. These you know, short stories and novels these days. Writing, um, I'm currently working on a story that has kind of a superhero angle. Not kind of a superhero angle. It's kind of like if I could write a Superman novel, this is what it would be. Oh, okay. and um, let's hope. <laughs> and um, <laughs> but there is so much more that you can do in a novel. Comic books can't even come close. Oh yeah, you know, unless you want to stop the story dead, you know, with ha- and have a guy just you know thinking eight hundred word uh, you know board balloons full of thoughts all the time, and you can't do it in comic books. But mm-hmm. in in a novel, you can you can carry this character, and you can find out you know right down to you know to the deepest thoughts what's going on with him, and it's not it's not this kind of like you know, self-explanatory bullshit to kind of like, well, as you know, I blah, 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 blah. Well, if you, if I know, I don't need to hear it. Yeah. That's uh, right. But yeah. you can do this in a novel. You can bring this background information in during a conversation. You just, you know, you, you, yeah. you throw it in right. there. Or even, even writing, you could say, you know, some guy like Sam walks through the door, you know, of his mother's house who's been struggling with, like, alcohol things. I mean, you can go off from these side tangents and fill in a little bit of background, like, of his mother, which would look really weird if some yeah. guy should have a guy walking through a story. And then what would you draw? Somebody is like, besides, let's throw a little history of this lady, <laughs> a picture of the lady, and then go. It's it's look, looks the, much I, easier to break the fourth wall and talk to the sure. reader and then go back to the story where comics, it's very hard and, to do. And, and, and you know, I... It, I, I wrote an, uh, a mystery novel called uh, uh, The Same Old Story, which is uh, set in the comic book industry in the 1950s. And one of the scenes is about this pulp detective that my protagonist writes, which was a, a cop based on his father. Um, and the scene is set in a diner with the cop. You get information from the waitress and stuff, but eating pie because he really likes pie. It's my favorite scene in the book. It. It the the information could have you know in a comic book it would have been like you know Jack Webb just the facts man um, yeah. here I got to you know I got to give personality to two characters you'll never see again but still you know they're they're alive now they're not just you know little background things against which you know your character is is, is being uh, placed right. um, it's it's just it's it's way richer much more satisfying and you know. After whatever fourteen hundred comic book stories, you know I'm good. Like yeah. you know, yeah, I, I've done it. You know, was right. really good oh, at yeah. doing that because of acting. I mean, one of the, my favorite scenes is De Niro and Pacino and Heat when they meet up in the bar, and 
uh, you guys, I'm, yeah. I'm sure have seen Heat, yeah, oh, yeah, and the talking. But I mean, I've, I was obviously thought like trying to translate or trying to translate Quentin Tarantino's dialogue to a comic. I think you could, but I do think you'd be missing something from the movie. So every medium has a strength, but novels can go very yeah. much. Yeah. One of the things that I think we do have an advantage in comic books is that we can do special. Oh, I I think you can do special stories too, Aaron, where, you know, like Kingdom Come, if if you've read that, um, Mm -hmm. that's like its own special event story. It may or may not be in continuity, depending on what they decide this month. But, you know, you can you can do special stories where you can do all these things that the serialized ongoing books can't do. And I'm seeing a lot. I'm seeing even at Marvel, uh, like Peter David's back in writing, you know, 1980 Spider-Man in the black suit. Why? Because there's a market for 1980 Spider-Man in the black suit, you know, and and he's selling enough of them to keep doing this thing. So, you know, there's, it's crazy how these niche markets, the fragmentation we were talking about earlier does support breaking these rules that, we're talking about that are well, so and also with, but even with those events even with those yeah. events you're locked into uh you're locked into that story you're locked into that universe you can right. change these characters correct but correct. your the expectations of these characters are set before you've even opened the cover because right. you know who superman is you know who batman is you may be sure. surprised at the turns they take and you know sure. a writer like wade is definitely going to keep his characters in character um, you know, uh, uh, so there's not going to be a problem with that, but you're still, you're still reliant on that. You're still going into it with that, uh, you know, with that baggage. Um, right. Are they still doing the black label at DC? Cause I know that was probably not. Yeah. Cause that was so. supposed to be, they were taking like the European format of books and which I thought was yeah. interesting. I thought some of the stories were interesting there. Um, it seemed mostly to, to show Batman's penis. I mean, that seemed to be. Oh, yeah, yeah. The well, well, the <laughs> that Watchmen beat them the here penis. before that. So, you know, yeah, but that it. was a blue penis. And it's <laughs> yeah, that's true. Batman's penis isn't blue. I, 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 frankly, I didn't look close enough. In December guys, in Gotham. I, uh, there, there is actually Black Label going on. This is Jock's latest effort. This is number two. One Dark okay. Night, and they're doing it in this large oh, that ma- yeah, magazine yeah. format. Yeah, so that's that's a European periodical format. Right, yeah. right. And it's they're doing it, I mean, because it's selling enough for them to do it. But again, special events, you know, they're they're not it's not going to go on and on and on. No, oh, but it definitely you can see that again format. It, it's it's perfect bound. So it yes, looks a little bound. nicer than a yeah. floppy. Yeah. So okay. it, I, I mean, European it's, comics have been doing that for years. I mean, they I mean they put out what five, six issues a year, but I mean they take their time and make it. Sure. European comics, though, they'll publish all sorts of crazy stuff half the time. I love reading them. I don't understand half the stories because they're just they're very they're strange. I, I well, I remember reading one where this girl in this fantasy world died, and then she broke the ferrets. And I was like, wait, what? Why is she a bunch of ferrets now? And the guy's like, well, yeah, you know, these, these elves, whatever, and they die, turn into ferrets. Like, like this what? is common knowledge in the story. I'm like, okay, <laughs> that, and, and, and he's never explained it. Why she turns into <laughs> ferrets. I'm like, all right, that's cool. Um, have you but, ever read any, Aaron, have you ever read any House of Mystery stuff where it sort of allowed for the beginning, middle, end, and not ongoing 
storytelling that you're talking I might about? Have, I used to just I I need to go back. I used to just get stacks of comics in the library. I just added those to my card. Yeah. That looks incredible. <laughs> and so There's I just I just and I read all sorts of crazy stuff. I might have read read stuff in there, but that's where I read most of the graphic novels and a lot of European graphic novels and stuff. My my library just carries all. Like I said, one of my favorite ones was one called Mar- Marzi. I think it was called M A R Z I. Okay. And it's about this girl right. that wrote about her. Um, she grew up in uh, Poland before the communists, right during the communist fall, where it fell. Uh-huh. And uh, she just wrote up, wrote stories about her as a child growing up in a communist country, going through that. And it was absolutely fascinating. And yeah, uh, I've never seen that in a comic book store in America. I've only seen that at the library. I've never seen it. Again, I feel, again, that's a little missed opportunity because, you I mean, like I know a lot of people in the World War Two, and if they did comics like about more history or whatever, I mean, we could probably get more readers in the comic stores if they had, you know, other you know stuffs about like history or I mean, we do romance, but I mean other stuff which I think Wolf Hunter, our comic, can do that. Yeah, but, you Wolf know. Hunter does that. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, yeah. So, well, I, Steam Patriots uh, is so fascinating to me because it well, it mixes you. the concept of. The very popular concept of steampunk, but it is also uh, historically accurate in the Revolutionary War. And after Thanks, we're Bob. all done here, if we can get Paul's address, you can ship him some of your books. I would yeah. love to do yeah. that. Yeah. We can do that. That would be very cool. That would be very Thanks, cool. So, so, Paul, what do you? What, what's your favorite? Uh, as as we wrap up the show, just about what what are some of your favorite? inspirations do you do you go to the classics and read do you read you know pulp do you read uh, mystery thriller uh, action adventure do you go back to superhero stuff what do you read to get inspired um i don't need to read to get inspired i i i you know i'm gonna <laughs> write no matter what like it's there awesome um i read uh, uh i i read to feel bad about myself because other people do it so much better um and i you know my my favorite authors are um, Jack London, Philip Roth, William Goldman, Somerset Maugham, um, uh, Pete Hamill. Um, you know, those and are, Arthur Conan Doyle, right? I mean, who, I who doesn't read, like I, Sherlock I, Holmes? I haven't read much Holmes, actually. I've been okay. thinking about uh, uh, taking a stab at it. Um, I also read a lot of uh, 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 you know uh, nonfiction. I'm currently sure. reading uh, Arthur Marx's. Uh, Biography of Bob Hope. So, oh, cool. cool. <laughs> that sounds cool. Groucho's son writing about Bob Hope. So, it's, yeah. wow. Well, um, I want to open the floor one last time before we have to go. Rob, did you have a specific question for Paul or comment? Or, no, you know, I, a, I, I, I'll get I you that a... five bucks, Rob. I told you. <laughs> Let it go. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, during the discussion, I had a an inspirational moment or a, a, an epiphany about why perhaps Marvel and DC continue to don't let their characters uh, age like like mm-hmm. you're expecting, Aaron. It's because they weren't. They, it's because the the corporation is the creator. Oh yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. You, see, you understand what I'm saying? It's. It, if you if you had a writer who created a story and went to a publisher and they just published that story, that's one thing. But in comic books, the corporation yeah. buys the character and becomes the creator. 
And and so that's why, it's, and the, of course, a corporation doesn't die. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't grow or doesn't change. So they're just worried about making money on the character. They're not worried about telling a decent story. They just right. want, they want to make money off it. So yeah. it, when you, when you create a story like Dickens did, he wrote a beginning, a middle and an end, but it, I mean, it was serialized, but still when he finished a book, it was done. That those yeah. characters, he was done with them. So he moved on to something else. Corporations don't do that. You know, when this writer finishes writing his his version of Batman, they bring in another guy to do it again, to write their version of Batman. What we used to call characters are now called intellectual property. Yeah, Intellectual property, exactly. Properties. That's my observation. I have no problem with, with, you know, when I went to work for DC, I knew the rules going in. Sure. Um, sure. And so I was fine with it. I signed the back yeah, of the check. I did nothing whatever. Nothing wrong with it. It's just about. And a few years later, it. you know, they said, "Okay, here, you know, we we will pay you." You know, I, I, you know, I just got my royalty statement for this quarter. Um, you know, it's not a fortune, but the strange yeah. enough, I'll leave you with the with a dumb thought. So, as you grow <laughs> up reading kids' books, all of the characters in kids' books are kids. All most of the characters in, in books are adults. So why aren't are the characters in comics teenagers then? Because if you're uh, going to read kids' books, books and then you graduate into reading comic books as a teenager, then so I always thought it was funny. Like these, like I even as a kid, and they are a lot of teenagers. But I always thought it was funny. I'm like, I'm reading about all all, all kids' literature is aspirational. Yeah. Kids don't want to read about their their own age. They want to read about the next level up. Mm-hmm. They want to read about their big brother. Oh yeah, I know. Oh, but yeah. it just seems yeah. weird because I thought like. Because I've written some kids' books and researching kids' books. I'm like, there's no adults in a kids' book. And yet when we go to comic books, you immediately go to adults. Well, like in Peanuts, there are adults. There's not a lot of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But strangely enough, young adult literature mostly is young adults and teenagers in the books, but not in comics. I don't know. Weird observations, but I've noticed those things. Except for kids' comics. Yeah, yeah, kids comics. Yeah, well, like Harry Potter's comics. all teenagers. That young adult. Twilight was yeah. all teenagers. That young adult. Yeah. Sure. The comics again, you know, is adult. At, yeah. At ten, you don't want to read about yourself. You want to read about your big brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I just always it's thought it was weird. Well, guys, I want to appreciate. Uh, thank you, Paul, for being so kind yeah, to share thanks, your Paul. time and your yeah, wisdom with fantastic. us. We appreciate it, and uh, we like to close our show before the bumper by I saying. Don't <laughs> you, you prepared, mm. right? Oh, you're not we, the fat lady anyway. We do say, we do make like mine. to say, make mine, make mine, silver line. Good night, everybody. Hi, I'm Greg Horn. Make mine, silver line. Thank you for listening to the Silver Line podcast. I hope you enjoyed the episode. We know we ramble sometimes, but we have fun. And after all, isn't that what comics are all about? We hope you'll follow us on all our social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Twitch, LinkedIn, Reddit, MeWe, Gab, and whatever new thing pops up between now and the time you listen to us. Please like, follow, share, and remember, make mine Silverline.